I'm closing out 2021 with an audible. I initially recorded this interview for an article about Joe Downey's father, Ray Downey, a former Marine and legendary FDNY firefighter who was tragically killed on 9-11. Ray Downey was the founding father and national representative for 28 teams of the Urban Search and Rescue Task Force. He was one of the most decorated firemen in FDNY history and earned many nicknames because of his experience, including Master of Disaster and God. I reached out to his son Joe after a historic Boston firefighter named Ed Loader told me about him. Joe was on his way back from Louisiana after responding to Hurricane Ida earlier this year when he received my call. He has over 30 years of experience in FDNY's Special Operations Command and is essentially following in his father's footsteps as a leader in technical rescue operations around the country. This interview is raw, largely unedited, and a conversation between two strangers discussing legacy and why that's important. Look for the link of the article published on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 about Ray Downey in the show notes. But for now, here is episode 10 with current FDNY Battalion Chief of the Rescue Battalion within Special Operations Command, Joe Downey. And uh, just to like uh, start off, like, so you went to, uh, you responded to Hurricane Ida. Is that like, what was your mission down there? Yeah. First, let me just get your, this is, uh, I saw the magazine. Uh, How did you get my dad's name that you wanted to talk about? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm from uh, Massachusetts and I did a uh, story on Ed Loader. Do you know, do you know Ed Loader? Ed who? Ed Loader. I don't think so. Yeah, so Ed Loader was a, uh, or he is, or he was a Boston firefighter for like 42 years, and he did okay. 25 years on Rescue Company One, and I did okay. a, and I did a story on him, and I was asking him about like other like famous firefighters that he worked with, because I'm I'm a history writer, so I'm fascinated with the rescue companies, particularly okay. in particularly in Boston. And um, because I know uh, the FDNY, they have like a, their history goes back to like 1915. But correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, I just basically asked him, and uh, he mentioned uh, your dad's name, and that's how I like learned about him. So I that's how I reached out. That's why I reached out. Okay, very nice. I I personally think that um, cops and firefighters don't get the uh, the historical uh, respect that they like. If you look up. Every Medal of Honor recipient from every war, you'll come across somebody. But if you do that with like cops and firefighters in a city or a town, you, it's hard to find. So I'm trying to share those stories. Oh, that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yes, I'm uh, with New York Task Force One out of New York City, where cops and firefighters and EMS, and uh, we went down to Ida to help out with the hurricane. And is that task force like a, uh, like, can you describe what that is? Yeah, New York Task Force One is one of 28 urban search and rescue teams in the country. 
It's actually one that comes out of Beverly, Massachusetts. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I'm not, but that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, they come out of Beverly. We actually were in the same location. We were in a, um, a rec center, and we shared the rec center with uh, Massachusetts Task Force One. Um, so our mission is uh, mostly the, the, the urban search and rescue program started about 1991 uh, after the Loma Prieta earthquakes in California. And the reason why they started was that the local fire departments, the first responders, were overwhelmed at such a big event. And they needed to have other resources to come in to assist them. At the time, my father was the captain of Rescue 2 in Brooklyn very experienced uh, with collapse operations. So he became one of the founding fathers of the urban search and rescue program. He, uh, they put a committee together and they came up with, I think at the time, 24 teams throughout the country. It was heavily uh, West Coast. They have eight teams in California from San Diego, I believe, all the way up to Sacramento, different cities, because it was predicated on that earthquake for the most part. And, and then at that, oh, good. yeah, 1991, that's when the system was built. And can you give me like a uh, broad, like overview of your career? Oh, my career or my dad's? Yours first, and then we'll uh, get into your dad's career. Yeah, I started with the New York City Fire Department in 1985. So right now I've got over 36 years as a fireman. Presently a battalion chief in uh, special operations. I work in the rescue battalion. And I've worked... uh, Pretty much 30, 32 of my 36 years in special operations. I was a firefighter in squad one, and then um, I was a lieutenant in rescue two, and then a captain of squad 18 during 9-11. Is, is squad 18 in uh, special operations command? Yes, the squads and the rescues are all part of special operations. In New York City, there's one rescue company in every borough. And there's now eight squad companies spread throughout the five boroughs. And their primary mission is um, they fight fires. They go to every fire in the borough. And they also respond to all the technical rescues in the five boroughs, meaning high angle, collapse, confined space, trench. Uh, The rescue companies do dive operations, swift water, boat operator. Anything technical rescue-wise, these guys are trained. And is that considered like a really elite team? Yeah, that would be the elite team for the fire department, the elite companies. And uh, do you have to have like, can you just like volunteer to join it or do you have to go through like some sort of school to get to that team? There's an application process. So if you're a firefighter in an engine company or a ladder company, then you would apply to come into special operations and then you'd have to have an interview with the captain. And then the captain creates a list and it's a selection process. He tries to bring people in that could bring other attributes to the table, whether they're a uh, 
a welder on the side, carpenter, anything that they could add to the company that would help with the technical rescue uh, would, would help them. Plus, they they got to be good firefighters, too, because the rescue companies, their mission is to put fires out, technical rescue, but also to save firefighters if they get in trouble. And can you talk to me, like, um, or share your story about your experience on 9-11? And then after that, uh, we'll go into, um, who, like, more about your your father. Okay. So, during, at the time of 9-11, I was the captain of squad company 18, which is uh, on the, the West Village of Manhattan. We're on West 10th Street in Manhattan. So, we're not too far from the Trade Center. I was off that day. I was home. I have two children that were young at the time. So I was watching my kids. And uh, my mom had called to let me know that she saw on the news and I didn't have the TV on uh, that a plane had hit. I wanted to know if I was working. I said, no, I'm home. I'm going to turn it on now. And she said, right, I'm going to call your brother because my one of my brothers is also a, a chief on the fire department. So called him. He was also off decided to go in to where my father worked over on Roosevelt Island. That's where special operations, he was the chief at the time of special operations. And we didn't go together. We went separately in there. And then once we got there, nobody had heard from him. So we took a, we took a truck and we went down to the site at the, t- and when I got down there, both uh, towers had come down. And then seven of my company, my the officer, one of my lieutenants, and six of my firefighters were also killed that day. Within special operations, which was my father's command, 98 members were killed. Between This was from the squad, rescue, and hazmat. And were you a part of, like, the recovery? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was offline for quite a long time, just working down there day and night with my brother for a while. Obviously, we're looking for my dad, but also helping out, trying to find others. We we were offline for a couple months, just working at the Trade Center site. And then after that, when we went back to work, we were still going down on our off tours just to keep working there until the end of it. We were there for the most part. We tried to have one of us there for for the nine months. Obviously, we couldn't be there every day, but as much as we could. And can you tell me about your your father? Like, what was his... um, Maybe just start from the beginning. Yeah, before he got on the fire department, he was a Marine. He served in the Marine Corps from 1956 to 1959. Two of his brothers were firefighters. So when he got out of the Marines, he followed that career of both of his brothers and became a firefighter in 1962. He worked in Ladder 35, which is the upper west side of Manhattan. And then he worked in Ladder 4, which is Midtown Manhattan. And then from there, I think it was 1967, he went to Rescue 2 in Brooklyn which is one of these special units. 
once he got promoted lieutenant, he moved to Harlem and worked in 58 engine and then 26 truck, which would they call the fire factory, which would probably do it a good amount of fire duty one probably I don't know about the most in the city but close to the most fire duty in the city back in the 70s and uh in Boston so in Boston like there was a time period called the war years did they have something similar to that where like there was a lot of heavy fires in New York City yeah yeah the war years were the 60s and 70s okay that's when they get a lot of fire duty late 60s early 70s and uh, I looked up on uh, your website he had some nicknames uh, the master of disaster can you talk about yeah. like how he how he got those nicknames yeah that's as his career grew he went to a lot of different emergencies and working as the captain of uh, rescue 2 in Brooklyn is one of the busiest companies in the world fire duty and, and technical rescue wise so he was, he was going to a lot of collapse situations and he just honed his skills so well that he uh, became very good at it and then he became the leader of the urban search and rescue program, which goes on all collapses. So I would say after from 90, you know, late 80s, not even before that, he went to rescue too in 1980. So from 1980 on, you know, he, he was going to many emergencies and then as he became the chief of special operations, he went to every big disaster in the city and he would go to every big disaster nationally because he was a national representative for all 28 teams in the country. So all the major hurricanes, collapses, Oklahoma City, he was the, uh, the ops chief in Oklahoma City for the urban search and rescue program. So I think by being there and being at so many of them, he got that nickname. And have have there been like um, I'm not familiar, but uh, with like collapse, like building collapses, like is that something that happens like often? I would say often, but they do happen yearly. We we have a few collapses a year, and some with people trapped. And at the time in his position, he would be called in on any of them, anytime something happened. And was he there? I'm I'm sure he was there for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Yeah, yeah, he responded. Actually, we were in Canada. We played hockey. Both of us played hockey. And it was a tournament. We were on different teams, but he was flying back from Canada that day and, and went to the Trade Center site and operated there. And what's like his like job? Is, is he the one? Is he like a like the ground force commander or something like that? Um, at the time of nine eleven, he was the chief of special operations, so he oversaw oversaw all the special units. And that would be like directing, directing, managing everything that the special units did went through him. And can you just? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so all the equipment that's put on the rigs, their operations, their SOPs, um, that that would come through him. A big thing that he did once he became chief of special operations was, was create the rescue school. So anybody coming into a rescue company or a squad company, our special units, would go to the rescue school to get trained once they're in the companies. And that was very helpful because we didn't have any standardized training at the time for technical rescue operations 
And he also wrote a, I saw on Amazon, he wrote a book about rescue companies. Yeah, yeah, he wrote the book on the rescue company. Um, it just uh, was the fundamentals of building a rescue company for your department and uh, the operations that you would expect to do and how you should do them. Interesting. And can you discuss, like, um, I don't know how much into detail, but his experience on 9-11? Yeah, so, again, he was the chief of special operations, so he responded out of Roosevelt Island, which is on the East River between Queens and Manhattan. And any kind of a big event like that, he was going to go. So he drove in. He had parked on West Street, but on the way in, he also got on the radio and, and, and believe he notified people that he believed there was a, an attack and that we should get the military responding. Um, and then that day, he was at the command center, which would have been at the time in the North Tower, the one he was in. And then when the South Tower fell, everybody that was in the North Tower scrambled to get out of there. And they went across West Street to get into the World Financial Center. There was a garage there. And those were able to get into the garage or away from the collapse. And then even before it settled, him and a couple others got out and went back in, across the rubble to call their members out from the, uh, the North Tower because the South Tower came down first. And he... Wound up working in front of the Marriott Hotel. He was getting some of his members out. He was with a civilian, another chief. Chief Larry Stack was with him. They were trying to help the civilian. They couldn't get him over a wall. And at that time, he was on the radio calling for people to come out of the North Tower because he felt that the North Tower was going to come down. And then anybody that saw him, he ordered them to get out of the area and go north on West Street and don't come back in until he tells them. And that saved a lot of guys' lives. He stayed with Chief Stack, ordered everybody out. He was in front of the Marriott helping this, this man. And then the North Tower came down and took his life. And uh, going back a little bit, but I, I, um, I also read that he was one of the most decorated in the FDN, FDNY. Yeah, yeah, he had uh, numerous meritorious uh, medals. I think he had four medals plus what we call unit citations, where a unit does a good job. I don't know how many he had, but uh, if you look at his dress uniform, you can see that it's filled up with meritorious. And uh, does every city have like different, um, like, like uh, decorate or awards? Yeah. Yeah, the fire department has its own named awards, and they do a medal day ceremony every year, and they uh, they acknowledge for the members of the previous year that day for their heroic actions. And uh, can you talk about like uh, his legacy? Yeah, so being a captain of Rescue Two, where is where he created that legacy because they were a very busy fire company. Even when we were talking about technical rescue and collapses, but they did a lot of fire duty, meaning they went to a lot of fires, rescued a lot of people, him and his company. So his uh, his legacy began there. Um, 
people admired him on what we call the fire floor, on how he operated and carried himself. He was always one step ahead, I think, of everybody else on his vision of what things should be. And he carried that vision with him, with Rescue to him when he got promoted chief. And as I said earlier, that's when he created the rescue school training. In 1998, at that time, we had five rescues and two squad companies. And he felt that we needed additional squad companies, which are special units, because of the terrorism. And uh, he was able to get five more companies established. So we had five rescues and seven squad companies in 1998. He also spoke on the, uh, at, on the Gilmore Commission, which is uh, a commission about domestic terrorism. And he did say on that commission when he was uh, interviewed that he felt there would be, it's not, if there's going to be attack, it's just a matter of when there's going to be attack, another attack after 1993 World Trade Center. That's interesting. I, so I, uh, I recently did an interview with a former, former FBI agent and, okay. he, and he was at, um, he was doing like uh, training with SEAL Team 6 in Virginia Beach and they, they watched the, they like watched it all unfold and he responded from Virginia Beach to the Pentagon. But, um, he said like when that second plane hit, he immediately knew that it was like terrorism was that something that yep. you guys both or is that what like how would how did you um like what were your feelings on that that day yeah so when the first one hit i didn't know what size they were just giving it over the radio as maybe a small plane and that's happened before in new york city we had a small plane in the empire state built many years ago i wasn't on the job so i thought maybe it was just an accident but it was it would be tough because it was a very clear day out that day. Our plane would hit the building. But then after the second one hit, you know, I felt it was an act of terrorism that we were being attacked. And you're, so in 1988, um, your father uh, added rescue companies. What was like the terrorism uh, that he was speaking about? Well, it was in 1998. He didn't add rescue. He added squad companies. Okay. So we had five rescues. We had two squads, but he felt we needed additional trained personnel for um, terrorism. Some of it was hazmat training. Um, some of it was just additional collapse and rescue training. If something big happened where we had many people trapped, we would need additional person trained at a higher level. It's more of like a tier response. You'll get the engine and truck companies, and then you'll get the special units on top of that. And at the time, he thought we didn't have enough special units if this something had happened. And uh, can you talk about like uh, like more about him? Like, what what was his person personality like? Um, then talk about like your uh, family. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um... He was a strict father. He was he was good to all his kids, so he was there for all our needs. He supported us in everything we did. He uh, always made us try to be the best we could and get 100% at anything we did. Uh, all of us played a lot of sports, so he was big into competing. And 
felt that would that would make you a better person if you knew how to compete and win and lose at a young age. That as you grew, it would benefit you. Um, didn't talk didn't talk anything about his job really. Growing up, we didn't know all the accolades he was getting. Obviously, when he got a medal, we would go as kids, but didn't realize um, the respect that he had by his peers and the accomplishments that he was was doing during his career because he was very humble. He didn't talk about it. He just did it. And it wasn't until myself and my brother got on a job that we realized uh, what he had accomplished and how how he was well so well respected within the fire department. And uh, how many siblings do you have? How many what? Siblings. There's five of us. Okay. And two two are on the FDNY. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. Do you think like that? Like, was it your intention, or uh, do you think like to follow in his footsteps? No. Growing up, I I didn't think about getting on a job. I didn't know too much about it. Uh, his thing was he didn't get an opportunity to go to college as a young kid because his dad died at, at when he was only nine years old and. He didn't have much growing up, so he wanted to make sure that all his kids went to college first and then figure out what they wanted to do. So while I was in college, he uh, he said, why don't you just take the test as a fallback? You know, I'm not pushing you to take it, but it's good to have it in case you're not sure what you want to do. So I had taken it in college, and by the time I graduated college, I was called a month later for the fire department. So I didn't have a job yet. So I said, I'll give it an opportunity to try it. That's how I, that's how I got off the job. Where'd you go to Pretty college? I went to Hofstra University on Long Island. Okay. Yeah, I wrestled there uh, for four years on a college scholarship. So you wrestled, you played hockey, you played any other sports? Um... Growing up, we played all the sports, but once I got to high school and college, I, I focused on wrestling. And then when I got on the fire department, my dad was still playing hockey, so I started playing hockey with him. And uh, yeah, I've been skating for the last 36 years with the fire department teams. Uh, that's pretty cool. Do, do you know uh, like the history of the fire department teams? Yeah, sure. So um, my dad was the first captain of the fire department team. Wow. It started about 19, I'm going to give you like 1972. They started the team. He, he was not the original founding member, but got on the team within the first year or two of when it was formed. And they used to come up to Boston many times. We drove to Boston. They played the Boston Fire Department or Boston would come down here. Uh, those were fun years because I was just a teenager at the time and they travel all over the place. Uh, and he kept playing. He was still playing hockey at 63 when he was killed. He, he loved the sport of hockey. But, yeah, in the 70s, he became the fire department, uh, captain of the fire department hockey team for quite a few years. What position was he? He played mostly left wing. And what position were you? Same position. Now I play, you know, I play in a, more of a, a uh, fire department, police department, rec league. When I played, I played when he played for the fire department team, which was the, like they call the A team that they established and you travel all over. But now I play on a, a record league team and I play center. 
And do they still, is that like, is the fire department team still like super active? Oh yeah. Thursday night is the big game against uh, the police department of Madison Square Garden. It's actually going to be televised, I think, on ESPN. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely it's watch a great that. Game. If you like hockey, if <laughs> I you do. like hockey, watch this game. It's, pre- it's pretty intense. That's cool. But not being professionals. Yeah. So, and just kind of going into that a little bit, like, so you, you do like your normal duties as a fire, fireman and then you play hockey as well? Is that like how that works? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hockey just, uh, it, it's just on your off time. You play, you represent the team, but you got to get your own time off. So you do it on your own. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the guys on the team don't have any special time off for it. They just try out for the team. There's, there's coaches, and uh, they get a lot of perks. They get to travel. There's the Fire Police Olympics every couple of years. They travel to Boston and Montreal. They're playing all different fire departments, California, Florida. So for a young guy, it's a great, great opportunity. And uh, how I think you've I think you've uh, mentioned this and covered it, but I just want to make sure I don't miss it, but uh, when did Special Operations Command like become established? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. In 1950, I think uh, Rescue One in Manhattan was the first rescue company established. Okay. and that I believe it was March of 1915 that they were established. Yep, okay. Um, so, and that that's part of Special Operations Command? That's like, that. that's what it was? Yeah, at the time, I don't think they had Special Operations Command, but that was the beginning of it, the first rescue company. And then they added, like I said, four more rescue companies over the years. Special Operations Command, from what I know of it, when my dad started, more started in the 90s, where they established the command and the rescue school and the training and that rest. But Rescue One was established in 1915. They did the training on their own. And uh, they didn't have uh, training at any kind of rescue schools. They just were people that had these uh, skills, and they just began to train them. And and uh, does Special Operations Command work with like? Uh, is it just with firefighters, or do you work with other people too? Um, we train with others. So back in 1998 or, or maybe early 90s. Um, being that my dad was a Marine, he created a relationship with the Seabird Marines. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Nope. Uh, they're the Chemical Biological Incident Response Force, and, and they come out of um, Indian Head, Maryland. Okay. So they, they, were, they were looking to do some technical rescue. So my dad brought them up to New York and for years. We worked with them, teaching them technical rescue. And then after it, my father was killed. They named their training facility down in Indian Head after him. Uh, the deputy chief Ray Downey, I think it's a Seabird training facility. And can you explain like what, uh, I'm not like super familiar with uh, like all like the, basically the capabilities that you guys have. Like is a technical rescue, is that using like ropes and stuff? Uh, yeah, so technical rescue is a variety of different disciplines. One of them is ropes. Another one is for collapses. Uh, another one is for trench rescues, people in trenches, uh, confined spaces. Actually, we had one in New York City last night where a guy fell down a shaft, and they would call our guys to get him out. 
with rope stuff. So it's not just all ropes. It's all different disciplines. Okay. And uh, are there, like, some things that your father did that uh, maybe, like, innovated the fire department? Oh. I mean, creating the technical rescue school was a big thing uh, to get guys trained. It was also part of uh, the program when they brought the book bunker gear in our PPE um, he was involved with that getting into New York City Fire Department um, big thing was technical rescue also he uh, he established that and the training for the city New York City Fire Department and before that was like how did did you guys just learn on the job yeah yeah they just uh, trial by error. You know, they get an incident, they got to figure out how to do it, and then they would create their own SOPs within their firehouse. And every firehouse may had a little twist on things, possibly. Um, but now it's it's more standardized, where everybody coming into our special operations is getting tra- trained the same way. And uh, how did? Um how did he implement the bunker gear? Like why did he choose that certain gear and talk about that? Yeah. So I don't remember the year, but we had a bad fire in Manhattan where a, an officer, a captain Drennan and two firefighters were killed. And they felt that if they had bunker gear, not just a coat that they may have been able to get, get out or save their lives. So the department put a committee together and, and he was involved with that committee to, uh, to find the right PPE, you know, personal protective equipment and to, uh, implement it to trial and error and get it out in the field and then distribute it to, to our company. So that's how he got involved with it. Uh, is there anything else I haven't asked you about um, your father that you think would be important to include? Um, what else there? You know, Mayor Giuliani honored him in, in uh, July of 2001 because of all that he's done for the city. So they had a dinner at Gracie Mansion for him, um, which was not many. I don't know if anybody else get an honor like that. He doesn't do it, especially in firefighter or police officer, civil servant. Um, that was right before 9-11. And you, do you still run the, um, like the, like a race for him? What was that? I'm sorry. Do you still run like a, like, uh, or oversee like a race, like a marathon oh, race? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we do a 5k run in town in deer park uh we started it right after the 11th unfortunately last two years it had to be virtual but um for 18 years we do a run in in his name his honor in town it's a great community event family events because he was uh he was a runner he did a couple marathons he enjoyed running so we decided to put that on and we raised over a million dollars for it over the last 20 years and have distributed it to uh Different organizations, we've helped people in the community give back. So my mom oversees that. Wow, that's really great. 
it's yeah it's it's a it's a super event maybe if you come down it's on father's day every year okay cool it's and, a great day and uh, we also have scholarships set up in um and two universities, my brother and I, one of my brothers wrestled at Hofstra, I told you. Yep. And my other brother was a football player at Stony Brook University on Long Island. And both universities created scholarships in my dad's name. That's great. I actually have a friend that went to Stony Brook. He didn't play, like, sports or anything, but that, I'm very familiar with that uh, university, so pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother Chuck was an all-American football player. Wow. Um, and is there, um, like some pictures that I could use for this story? Yeah, just um, did you have my email? You have my email, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just give me a tickle. Um, and just remind me because I've been on the road for the last nine days at this appointment. Just send me another email. You want fire pictures, family pictures, whatever you want, I'll send it to you. All right. Military, per- I got pictures of as a Marine, firefighter, family, running, marathons, hockey. I got it all. All right, perfect. All right. Well, thanks for reaching out. And uh, looking forward to see what you put together for him. <laughs>